0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Amen. Cool. Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to 1 John chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along with us, uh, just raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring one to you. And if you don't have one, uh, you can actually keep that Bible. But I remember a while back, I was, uh, was going to meet with uh, Jesse Rios. We call him Teacher Jesse, also known as the Lord's Ranger. Really cool guy. Anyways, uh, we were getting together to meet for the children's ministry, and so I figured we know we should over to McDonald's, and uh, so we got into my truck. It's a 1992 Toyota pickup, and it just so happens that he has the same truck. Uh, uh, anyways, uh, we're driving, and he notices uh, something's wrong. Here's a sound, and so when we get into the parking lot, he's like, "Okay, you know, pop the the hood." And so I pop the hood, and he says, "Start the engine again." And he listens, and then he begins to kind of look, and he finally notices there's something wrong in that area of the engine right there. And so the next day, you know, he comes up uh, over my house, probably a little bit too early, but I remember he came over, man. And uh, he said, "Okay, start. You know, let me take a look at it while it's cold." And, and uh, started up again, and then uh, basically he was beginning to diagnose the problem with it. There was a, a problem with the exhaust system, and he thought, well, you know, maybe it's one of the pipes down here. And so he said, if you want to fix it, you know, you take it to the mechanic. And uh, so I did that eventually, and it turned out that it was one of the exhaust pipes that was cracked. And uh, thank God they were able to weld it and uh, kind of repair that whole thing. And now it's running fine. I'll be able to pass smog and uh, different things like that, you know. But here's the thing, you know, I would have never known. I would have never known something was wrong. To me, it was just like sounding like a pretty strong engine, you know. <laughs> you know? Um, but he got in and he knew something's wrong and uh, something needs to be fixed. And that's kind of the way it is for us as Christians, you know. A lot of times we would never know. Thank God for his word, thank God for his people, thank God for the Holy Spirit that begins to show us those areas of our life that need to that need to change, that we need to let go, that we need to deal with, that we need to address, that we need to stop ignoring. And then, you know, we take it to the mechanic. We take it to the Lord. And then God begins to clean house. And I think that that's one of the things that the Lord wants to do in this letter right here first John. You know, he wants us to, to be real. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, it doesn't matter how long you've gone to church, man. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac, right? I mean, that doesn't ha- doesn't cut it. Oh, yeah, I went to church all my life. Big deal. One day you're going to stand before God. And either you're a saint or an ain't. Either you're real or you're not. And you've got to make sure. And so... There are those who are who are not even really Christians, and then there are those who are Christians, but even you're not real. It's almost like you're a practice plastic Christian. And God just says, I, I want you to be real. I want you know the real you to rise up and really walk in an absolute surrender and a true abiding relationship with God that will bring joy to your life. And so that's what first John. ...really is all about, you guys. So we're going to see it as we begin here. First of all, the manifestation. Because look what it says in verse 1. It says, "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, the life was manifested. and, And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father... And was manifested to us. That which was from the beginning, that is Jesus Christ. Here we see Jesus, the being, from before the beginning. Before that time, before time began, we read about it back in Genesis 1.1. Remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We read about it in John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there's the Word with God. He was God. And then you read in verse 14 of John 1 that he became flesh, a human, a man, and dwelt among us. What we're reading about here is the manifestation of God, the incarnation of God. We celebrate it at Christmas when God took on human flesh. And John says here in verse 1 that, you know, we heard him, man. We saw him with our own eyes. We even looked upon him with that look, literally in the Greek, to penetrate and investigate. We've handled him. We've touched him. He wasn't simply a spirit or a ghost or a phantom. He's the real deal. God really came to earth and took on human flesh. And he wanted to communicate that because, again, the false teachers taught that Jesus did not come in the flesh, that he wasn't real, that he was just a a phantom who walked but left no footprints. And John writes to say, oh yes, he did. We heard him, man. We saw him. We touched him. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead and, uh, you know, he came and he appeared to the guys, the disciples there, and he says, handle me. Literally, same word, handle me. Touch. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I do. We read that over in the Gospel of Luke 24, 36 through 40, and later Jesus came to Thomas. Remember, Thomas was questioning whether or not, uh, you know unless I put my fingers in the nail, scarred hands, and Jesus said, Here it is. Touch me, God said, I'm real. And that's what John begins to write. He says, Jesus was manifested, and and, and he says right here, and this this Jesus, John again calls him the word, we see again in Revelation, that's a tattoo on his thigh. Not all tattoos are bad, right? <laughs> On his thigh, there's a tattoo. It says, King of kings, Lord of lords. This is the word of life, right? There he is, the word of life. It says in verse 1 concerning the word of life. I just love that title right here. The logos of life, the expression, the manifestation of life. The Greek word, zoe, it speaks of an absolute fullness of life. It belongs to God and through him can be given to us. It's real life, man. It's genuine life. It's a life that's active and vigorous spiritually. When we possess it and find it ourselves, we'll find ourselves devoted to God, blessed by God when we put our faith in Christ. The word is found a number of times in First John. If you go over to chapter 5, you read it there, one of my favorite verses in verse 11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. You know that word eternal life, you guys. And it's not just a quantity of life, it's a quality of life, right? God says, I've given this to you, it comes through my Son. It's the same Greek word used in John fourteen six. You guys know that verse, right? Where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Same word used in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal. And kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. And that more abundantly. You know, the bottom line is, everybody's got to die. All men die. But not all men really live. Not all men live the life, the full life that God wants to give. And this is what it's all about. He said, Jesus came. God was manifested to give us that zoe, to give us that life. And so he says in verse 2 the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the father and manifested to us the word manifested it means to make visible to make known what was previously hidden or unknown by words by deeds or in other ways god wants to give us the message of life you know it's interesting that science still cannot trace the origin of life Science cannot create or recreate life. Science cannot begin life nor attain or forever maintain life. Life is such a big word. And it's even bigger when you talk about spiritual life. And what we find is that Jesus was manifested to give us what no one else can. And the question is, do you have it? Do you have that life? Are you a Christian? And as a Christian, do you have that abundant life? This is what God wants to give to us. What we find is that Jesus was manifested to give us what no one else can. And when we have this life, then we finally begin to win over sin. Watch if you go over to chapter 3. And look at verse 5, it says, And you know that He was manifested, same Greek word, to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. What does sin bring, you guys? Sin brings death, right? Jesus brings life. And that's what we find He's here to give us. The book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ." Jesus our Lord. You know, and it's hard, it's difficult to figure out why or how God came. We read in 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. But we know that He did. Even though we're not worthy, He came. And John says right here, We've seen Him, we bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father... And was manifested to us. John writes to give us not only the message of life, you guys, but the messenger of life, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know. And that was John's job, and that's my mission as well. I need to share with you this message. My responsibility as a pastor is to give you this message and this messenger. I am supposed to preach Jesus to you because in Jesus. All our answers are found. The mending for your marriage. The answers to your problems with your children and your body and your finances and whatever the case may be. The answer for your family, for this country, for us globally is Jesus. And that's my job, to give that to you. Just like John wanted to give it to his recipients. You see, first we have that manifestation. You know, God came. And then we have the aspiration so why is john writing this look at verse 3 it says that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ and so you're here today and you're like why am i here why am i here And someone says, well, the reason I'm here is because my friend told me afterwards we'd go get something new, though, man. That's why we we hooked up at church, man. (laughs) You know, I remember when we first started the church here, I was like, uh, in and out, across the street, confirmation, man, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Why are we here, you know? And, you know, you check off your religious, you know, whatever it is, the list that you do on Sundays and stuff like that. And I'm blessed that you're here. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, we're here that God would do a work in our life. You know, This morning, I woke up. It was kind of funny. I'll tell you guys a funny story if you promise not to tell anybody, man. And, uh, and Shally looked at me, my wife. She looked at me, and she just made a, re- a weird face. And I think she started laughing, right? And I said, what's wrong? And she said, you got something in your nose, right? And it wasn't something small. It was long and green and weird and all this kind of stuff, man. <laughs> You know, and I would have never known unless maybe, you know, and then when I do, I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh, you're right. You know, can you take it out for me? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I didn't ask for that. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're here because there, we, got, we got issues, right? I mean, you got issues. I got issues. I, I got issues. And I, God is dealing with me. You know, maybe that muffler got fixed they welded it together, but something else is going to go wrong with my truck. Something else is going to go wrong with me, and one by one, as I look in the mirror, God wants to change my life. Why did they write this letter? Well, one of the things we read right there in verse three is because God wants us to have fellowship there's a there's a There's a proactive articulated purpose for this letter written. He says right there in verse three, what we have seen and we heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father. And with his son, Jesus Christ. This is one out of five articulated purposes. We went over them last week. Then the practice of fellowship is something God wants in our life. John John says, listen, we've seen and heard and declared this to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. The Greek word is that word koinonia. It means common or shared. The Greeks use this word to describe partners in business, joint owners of a piece of property, shareholders in a common enterprise. And the New Testament refers to Christians who share a common faith, who share possessions, who are partners in the gospel. And and basically, you guys, for us, this whole thing of fellowship is so important. We have this in common. We have this communion. We have this community of Christians in Christ it's this relationship it's beyond the superficial it's the official relationship rooted in God's righteousness and we begin to walk together and talk about things that are forever you know and when the brothers get together it's not just you know us talking about you know baseball or football when the sisters get together it's not them just talking about makeup and breakup right you know i mean it's not just us going to church and saying hi and then saying bye I'm fine, that's a lie. When you're not fine, when we start getting into relationship in God's righteousness, the deep things of God, it's beyond the superficial. And God says, listen, I wrote this because nine times out of ten, you're living in sin and you want to hide it. So you're not opening up. You're not walking in transparency to other people. And God says, I want to bless you. I want you to experience this thing Called fellowship. It's not just life in part, but it's heart to heart. It's the life and the language of the Lord. God says through John, I just want you to have true friends. I just want you to have true family. I'm writing this so you can learn and live in real relationship with God and with others, the spiritual relationship that we call fellowship, you know? And I don't know if you guys have really been experiencing that or not, but imagine that kind of life, the life that God intended. One of the things I love about us as human beings is that we can have relationship, you know? I mean, sometimes it takes time to learn that lesson, but, you know, if you've lived a few years, you realize that it is not about houses, and it's not about cars, and it's not about money and the things that money could buy. Who cares about all that stuff? You take away my kid now you're now you're hitting me where it really counts it's about people it's about this relationship that we can have with people, a deep spiritual relationship that we can have with not only people but with God. This is what it's about, and a lot of times this is what's lacking in a christian's life. They go to church maybe and they're in and out, maybe they say a few prayers before they eat their meals, and they read a couple of chapters of the Bible every once in a while. They you know even partake of communion, but if, um, if you're missing that fellowship, that sense of experience of God, the deeper things of life with one another, then you know God says, right off the bat, I'm writing this so that I can work this out in your life." You know, sometimes we don't have that fellowship. It's lacking, and that's why the enemy is attacking. And yet this is an earmark of the church. Remember Acts 2.42? They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer. And as we learn and begin to live these things, there's no doubt that our fellowship can be stronger. And so I just want to share that with you. There's this manifestation, Jesus, the messenger, the message of Jesus, the life. The life that God wants you to have and this aspiration. I'm writing this so you can have fellowship. And I'm writing this. Secondly, look at verse 4. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is purpose number 2 out of 5. That our joy may be complete. You know, because there's a lot of people and sometimes even Christians who have no joy for the journey. You know, And they're always bummed out, man. They always got a frown on their face. They're always like whining and complaining about everything. There's no joy. And yet this is Jesus' desire for us as his disciples. Back in John fifteen eleven, he said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, I like that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. You know, where we listen to the words of Jesus, and we live out the words of Jesus, and then we have the joy of Jesus... It's a full joy. And what you find is that these things build upon one another, you guys. And I'm telling you, you know, and and it's too bad that they don't teach this in school. And it's too bad that they don't teach this, you know, to our kids out there as they're growing up and they begin to learn, like, how does life really work? And then you just begin to tell them, well, you know, it's about having a a relationship with God, fellowship. And when you have that fellowship, you're going to have joy in your life. Joy for the journey. Warren Wisby says, Fellowship is Christ's answer to loneliness, and joy is Christ's answer to emptiness. Because when you try to do all the other stuff, it doesn't fill the void. It will not bring true joy. What is joy? You know, we don't understand it. Uh, Some say it's happiness. Some say they have joy when they're between illnesses, or some say they are joy full when the bills are paid or they're, they're real joyful when they found out the Lakers got Dwight Howard. You know, that's the way some people are, man. You know, and you go to the Laker game, and no offense, you know, I understand you want to have fun or anything, but man, I haven't seen you smile that long in a long time, you know, and the guy hits a three-pointer, right? But how long does it last? The other team hits a three-pointer, the game's over, and I don't know about you, but when I was an avid sports fan, I just felt like so depressed, man. I can't believe the Lakers lost like that in the final seconds, right? And your joy is stripped away, and it's not real joy. See, God wants to give us something a lot deeper than superficial happiness. John MacArthur said this. He said, Real joy is not merely a personality quirk that belongs to people who are upbeat. Real joy is not a shallow, giddy, fleeting sort of glee, but a deep down abiding sense of well-being that stems from satisfaction a true believer finds in God alone. Joy is the natural and expected result of authentic faith in Christ and it rises above all the trials of life. I was thinking, you know, joy is like the smile of the heart resting fully upon Jesus, tangible and visible on the outside due to the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit on the inside. You see, happiness is a smile that goes only as deep as my face. And is dependent upon my circumstances. But joy is a smile that goes as deep as my soul. That's solely dependent upon God. And brought into the context of this letter, we find this joy can only happen when we're in true fellowship with God and His people. And this fellowship can only happen when we walk in holiness. Which is what we read next. You see, first there's this manifestation of Jesus the message and the messenger of life. Then there's this aspiration of Jesus. He wants us to have fellowship and He wants us to have joy. But then there's this expectation, there's examination of myself. Because we read here in verse 5, it says, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. A liar and his word is not in us. Five things right here that I think God can use for us to examine our life, to find out, you know, whether you're really a Christian, and if you are a Christian, whether or not you're being real in your relationship with God. You'll notice he says, if we say there in verse six, again, if we say there in verse eight, if we say there in verse ten and and no offense but but who cares what we say you know they're just words but you'll notice right there it says in verse 7 if we walk big difference huh verse 9 if we confess and that's what he wants to bring us to man he wants to bring us to that point where it's not just about what we talk but it's about the way we walk it's this place where we really examine our lives are you really a christian or not If you were to die today, are you sure you'd go to heaven? Because this is one thing that you want to be absolutely sure of. And this is the way that you can find out. You see, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, you know. How can we examine ourselves? Well, I think this is where 1 John comes in. You know, it's interesting. John wrote his gospel to tell people how to receive eternal life, John twenty thirty one, And he wrote this letter to tell people how to be sure they have eternal life. Remember John chapter 5, verse 13. John shows us how to examine if we're in or not, if we're in sin or not, how to test ourselves. And this is very important. Because, you know, and I've told you guys, and I'm sure you've heard many times, you can fool some of the people all of the time. You can fool all of the people some of the time. But there's never, ever a time in all of time where you can ever fool God, and that's all that matters. So let's not be content in trying to fool anyone, I pray in life. You know, I spoke to a man the other day, A moral man, I suppose, who thinks he's going to heaven, but he's not. And I know he's not because he's living in sin. He's actually deceiving himself, thinking he's okay with God because he considers himself to be a good man. He considers himself good enough to go to heaven. But there is no one good enough to go to heaven. We need to make sure, you guys, that we take the time to search our hearts. And be sure that we're real. Am I saved? Am I surrendered? You know, God can show us, and we need to be open. You know I remember reading an illustration. Suppose you have a counterfeit bill and you actually think it's genuine, and so you use it to pay for a couple of gallons of gas, and the gas station manager then uses the bill to buy supplies, and the supplier then uses the bill to buy some groceries. And then the grocer then bundles that bill up and he takes it with the other bills to the bank. And then the teller, he says, I'm sorry, but this bill is a counterfeit. And what you find is that $20 bill may have done a lot of good while it was in circulation, but when it arrived at the bank, it was exposed for what it really was and pulled out of circulation. So it is with a counterfeit Christian. You know, He may do a lot of good things in life, but when he faces the final judgment... There before God, he will be rejected. And Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty two, he said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And that you know that's that's a that's a sobering scripture. it's supposed to be an awakening passage for us because it doesn't matter if you're like you know being used by God to cast out demons or to teach the Bible or whatever your place and position is in ministry, there will be many people who stand before God who have practiced and done such things who really don't know God because they never really took the time to search their hearts and to rid themselves of insistent, persistent, consistent sin that God always pointed to them, but they never wanted to deal with. And for us, it's a real heart check. You know, we need to know this right here, right now, that a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. That's what First John is all about. And so we read in verse 5, we got to know this, this is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And a lot of times I think that's where we go wrong because we don't realize how holy, holy, holy God is. And we know it's not an exhaustive statement about God because we also read in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love John 4.24, that God is spirit. But when God is personified as light, it speaks of his holiness, his sinlessness, his purity, and his glory. Isaiah chapter 6, when the seraphim saw him, remember high and lifted up? What did they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do you know that? Do we know that about God? Do we know that there is no darkness in him? He's only light, that there's no sin allowed in his presence in heaven. We've got to know that. When God gets a hold of us, he makes us whole and he makes us holy. That's what God does with Christians. And so we read in verse 6 if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. And there's a lot of people, man, they're saying they're, they're in fellowship with God. I have. Yeah, I spent time with the Lord today. You know what? Some people who say that really didn't because they're living in sin. It could be a husband. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, that God won't hear your prayers because you are not honoring your wife. And you say you spent time with God today, but you want to know something? You really did not fellowship with God. See, this is something that we can apply to a non-believer, of course, in a relationship, but I think it's something that's also applicable to us as Christians. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, but walk in the darkness... We're not really fellowshipping with him. And so for some of us here, you probably know, even as a Christian, that there has been a distance between you and God recently. And you haven't really been able to hook up and connect and sense and experience God. And God is saying, well, this is why. Because, you know, you're walking in darkness. If someone says that they have fellowship with God and they, you know, talk with their T-shirt and their bumper sticker and their bracelet and their coffee cup and their keychain, I even have a keychain. It says, I love Jesus, right? You know? And I have a relationship and fellowship with God, but they walk in darkness. In other words, they're living in willful, persistent, insistent sin. Then John says, the truth is they're liars. They're not practicing the truth. You know, how many times they, people say they're Christians, but they hold on to their sex outside of marriage? The drugs, the drinking, their unsaved boyfriend or girlfriend, So-called life, but it has no love. So-called faith has no works. Some people are guilty of envy, adultery, pornography. Some people are guilty of hatred. And they're here today and they hate people. There is no assurance of your salvation when you're holding on to sin. And God wants us to know that. Remember what Jesus said in John 3, verse 19? This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You see, the Lord is light and we got to walk in the light. We can't walk in darkness. Otherwise, there will be no fellowship with God. And I don't know, you know, and I'll tell you guys this, you know, for me. As a a pastor, you might think, well, I always have, you know, sweet fellowship with God. But it's not always like that. You know, I know I'm saved. And so I want you guys to know that. (laughs) I know I'm saved. But, you know, there are those times where I just know because of this area of my life that I'm not having this sweet fellowship with God, this deep, connection with Christ. And you know how it is when you're in your prayer closet, or when you're in the Word, or whatever it is, you're walking in In the Spirit. You know the difference between that and when you're walking in the flesh. The Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, if I harbor iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear my prayer. And so there's this thing, I think, primarily applicable to non-believers, but we as believers, we can take it to heart. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie. We might say we're fellowshipping, but we are not. do not practice the truth. And in verse 7, but here's the contrast. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, it cleanses us from all sin. You know, to walk in the light is to walk in the Lord, you know, in the ways of the Lord. You know, where it's not perfect necessarily, but it's proper. We're doing our best to be blessed, striving, longing to live a life of overall obedience. Just following Jesus, who said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You know, to walk in the light undoubtedly has to do with having a knowledge of God's word, right? For how can we do what's right if we do not know what's right to do? That's why Psalm 119 and 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, it's a law unto my path, a light unto my, my path. When we walk in light as He is in the light, we really do have that fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. One thing I've noticed, you guys, if you're living in sin, you know, it might even be like you got in a fight with your your you know wife or your husband, and then you you know like you're in the car and you got into it, right? And then you get out of the car and all of a sudden it's like whoop, you got a smile on your face, right? Hi, how you doing? Oh, God bless you, brother. Like oh, I pray for you, and you know you try to you know to to talk with other people, and it's just not the same. You can't walk in transparency. There's walls that build up. When there's sin in your life. that's why we have to deal with these issues. Otherwise, we have no fellowship. In verse 8, he says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, you'll notice here in verse 8 that the word sin is singular. And it probably means that it's a reference to our sin nature. Like, I don't have a sin nature. And psychology will teach you that. Psychology teaches that man is inherently good. Or neutral, maybe a blank slate. But theology teaches that man is inherently evil. We have a fallen nature. It's a sin nature. And this is due to the fall of Adam. And we're all part of Adam's family, right? Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, Manny? I know a little bit about you. You were all jacked up. But me, I'm a pretty good person, man. Man, whatever you don't ever say that... No one here is a a pretty good person, man. We're all you know, sinners by nature. We all have that wickedness within us. Now, if there's anything good about you, it's not you. It's Jesus, right? But we need to recognize and acknowledge this sin nature. If we say we have no sin nature, oh, he says right there, man, we're in big trouble. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. When you begin to deceive yourself, you are in big trouble. Right, Romans chapter five, verse twelve it says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death that spread to all men because all sin. And I told you earlier, I love kids, and we love the Operation Christmas Child. But the bottom line is, even kids are sinners, right? Even when they're born, they're sinners, man. Right away, they learn to cry, not just when they need their diapers changed or when they need food, but when they want to be picked up and held, right? When they're screaming for attention. For some adults, it never never goes away, man. (laughs) It's part of the sin nature. And you do not have to teach your little kid how to lie. You don't. You don't have to teach your little kid how to be covetous. You don't, right? Mine. That's probably one of the first words they learn, right? Mine, you know? Oh, I didn't do it. (laughs) It's because there's a sin nature within us. And we have to acknowledge that it's always there, ready and willing to rear its ugly head. David said in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. And this is talking about original sin. If we deny that part of ourselves, we're going to be in big trouble. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here's where we now begin to do business with God. You guys, here's where your friend comes in and he says, you know what, I hear a sound, pull over, let's check the trunk. You know, and then he he examines it, takes it to the mechanic and there's a massive crack in your exhaust pipe. And then you begin to deal with it. You begin to meddle with the middle. You begin to handle the heart. You begin to deal with specific areas of your life. God is saying, I want to have fellowship with you. I want a true relationship with you. And I want you to have true relationships with others which will blow you away, which will bring so much joy for your journey. But here's where it is. We've got to start cleaning house. You know, here a lot of people are, oh, I want to save the world. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, Judge not lest you be judged. And then in verse 5, he says, Hypocrite, first take that plank out of your own eye. Then you will be able to see clearly to see the speck and remove the speck out of your brother's eye. It begins first with self-confrontation, right? And then we begin to change, and God doesn't work. God will empower us. You know, here he says right here that we have to confess our sins. The Greek word for confess, homologeo, it simply means to say the same thing. And to confess my sins, it simply means that I say the same thing about them that God does. That's sin. Prayerlessness is sin. Lord, forgive me for my prayerlessness. Laziness is sin. Lord, forgive me for my laziness. You know, bitterness is sin. Lord, forgive me for my bitterness. You know, sometimes I think, where we Christians, we where we mess up, and it's okay to say, "Lord, forgive me of my sins." And you're talking, you know, a whole bunch of people, and you're praying with a whole bunch of people, but you can't do that in your prayer closet. You got to get more specific than that. Imagine if I took my truck to the mechanic and he fixed the tire or whatever. You know, no, dude, the problem is, you know, the exhaust pipe, and and you know, we got to get specific with the Lord, so that then the Lord we can begin to find out, okay, what does the Bible say about that issue. And then I learn the word, I quote the word, I stand on the word, and God begins to change our life. We've got to say the same thing about sin that God says, and we have to forsake it. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Here's the problem. We as Christians believe that if we can cover our sins, we will prosper. If I can hide it from everybody, then I'm going to be okay. No, you're not going to be okay you got to confess it. you got to forsake it. And then you'll prosper. And then maybe you're here and you came from a Catholic background and you're wondering whether or not you should confess your sins to a priest. Well, the Bible never commands us to confess our sins to a priest, but it does mention the benefit of confessing our sins to one another. James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another. And this is part of the process really I think of overcoming sin. Not that my brother or sister has the power to forgive my sins before God, but they can pray for me and even they can keep me accountable. You know, sometimes we say I'm sorry and it's a part of our pride is we won't say what we're sorry for. You know, you tell your wife I'm sorry and she says, "What for?" "Oh, don't make me go there." <laughs> You're getting all historical on me, right? <laughs> No, I'm sorry for... Why? Because now you make yourself accountable in that area of your life. You know, the beautiful thing about this verse is that when we humble ourselves and confess our sins to the Lord, look what he says right there. I will forgive that person. He says, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise, you guys. If we confess it... And, you know, I, don't, I can't imagine why somebody wouldn't. I can't imagine that man that I spoke to the other day who said, no, he's fine, he doesn't need to confess his sins. I mean, don't you know, don't we know we need Jesus? Don't we know that? I mean, none of us are good enough, none of us are perfect. We need God to forgive us of our sins. The Greek word means to send away. And so in one sense, it's like these sins are all over you. God will take them and God will send them away. Not only that, let's just say this was the sin, this dirty, filthy you know, rag or whatever. God takes it off. He sends it away. And then what He does, is He starts cleaning me. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to begin to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When God says, hey, when you say, hey, you know what, I'm not going to get high anymore. You know, I'll never forget the day that I flushed my drugs down the toilet where I threw all my devil music into the trash. I remember those days. God says, okay, when you do that, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's like He comes in and now He starts working on your entire life because He sees that you're serious and He'll forgive you. You know, He'll cleanse you. And that's a beautiful promise that we have from the Lord. It's this new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. It says, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. And I don't know how God does it. But when you forgive your sins, He no longer remembers them. Don't you wish you were like that? When someone sins against you and they ask for forgiveness, it's still there, right? Man, but God says, I'll put them behind my back. I'll cast them as far as the east is from the west. I will remember them no more. I'll put them into the deepest part of the ocean and put up a sign that says no fishing. I mean, it's done, right? God says, I'll do that for you. In Micah chapter 7, I like what it says in verse 19 and 20, He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that cool? (laughs) He forgives us and cleanses us. He changes our standing and He changes us. Revelation 1-5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us, and washed us from our sins in His own blood. But there it says in verse 10, But if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Can you imagine that, man? God says, Manny, you sinned. I look up and I say, No, I'm not a liar. Imagine, isn't that weird? (laughs) That would be weird. But that's what people are when they say they have not sinned. 1 Kings 8.48, Solomon said, There is no one who does not sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20, it says, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. We all know Romans 3.23, where the Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, when I got my truck fixed, I'll be honest with you, man, it hurt. It hurt. And you take it to the mechanic and you're like, Oh, prayerfully, it's just something that needs to be tightened, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I just need to kind of tighten it up again. And he says, no, either $500 or $300, you know? And you're like, oh, Lord, ouch. But the Lord provided for us, so we're cool. But, you know, when you're dealing with these things, there's going to be a cost, right? And God says, listen, I'll do my part, but, but you have to do your part. There's this whole thing that we read in the Bible in which God says, I want you to have fellowship. I want you to have joy. I want you to be in right relationship with me and with other people. And so I'm going to write this letter to you, son. I'm going to write this letter to you, daughter. I'm going to write this letter to you. Maybe you don't know the Lord because I want you to go to heaven when you die. If we say, if we say, if we say, big deal if we live see that's what that's what counts. Jesus said by by their fruit you'll know them. You know Jesus said these people honor me with their lips but their hearts they're far from me. Oh, but I went and I prayed and I did my uh you know my my I read, you know, 14 chapters of the Bible. I went to church and I served for 4 hours and you know, I scrubbed toilets but you treated your wife like dirt, you're in big trouble. God's not religious. God is interested in us living this life. And it's time. I think it's time, you guys. God help us to be real, which is what First John is all about, right? Warren Risby said this, When a person uses up all his energy in pretending... He has nothing left for living. Life becomes shallow. The person who pretends not only robs himself of reality, but he keeps himself from growing. His true self is smothered by his false self. And that's why I pray, you guys, you know, we got to just, man, we just got to come out And uh, it's not like tomorrow you're going to be perfect and you're going to dot all your I's and cross all your T's. But it's like today we will stop pretending to be perfect. And then we begin to try to live the life and to be real know that Jesus was real and so should we. We want to have joy by having fellowship with God and so we have to deal with the issues, man. It's so cool to know that we can find freedom and forgiveness in the Lord because the last I heard... One cross plus three nails came out to four given. And that's who we are, you guys. I pray that we would have this relationship with the Lord. And so, Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word together. Thank you for your beautiful people that are here, that, you know, you've given them time to repent. You love them, and I know they love you. But now there's just another step, another step that needs to be taken. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just move in every heart. And if there is anyone here today who is not sure whether or not they're a Christian, then today would be the day of salvation. If there's anyone here as a Christian who's just not living that life of surrender, then today would be the day of absolute surrender. And just with every high close and heads bows, you guys praying just in case, man, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you know, the good news is Jesus did come. Jesus did die for you. He died on that cross for you. And all your sins that you've ever done were laid on Him. He paid the price. They put Him in a grave. He rose again. And now all God asks is that you believe in Him. You put your faith in Him. And if you want to do that today, just so that you can know for sure, you're forgiven. You, you'll, then you'll have the power to live the life, but you won't have the power until then. You want to receive Christ today by faith. Just want to want you to raise your hand, and we're going to pray for you. Something only God can do, man. But if if you're not sure and you want to be sure, then today is the day of salvation. Anyone here, man? Raise your hand. Don't let the devil keep you down. Don't let him win. I've seen so many lives changed by simple raising of the hand cuz it comes from the heart and it says Lord I'm a sinner but I need a savior. Jesus I give you my life. Anyone here The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And the Bible says, As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. There's got to be a day, there's got to be a moment in time where you decided to follow Jesus. Anyone here, just raise your hand. going to pray for you. Father, what an awesome God you are, Lord. We thank you for just your word and the challenge to our life, Lord. And it's so cool, Lord, just to know that you want us to get deeper. I thank you, Father, for allowing us uh, the opportunity, Lord, to plant the word of God into hearts, uh, Christians, maybe some not. But just asking that word, Lord, would be watered and bring forth fruit that would bring you glory and honor. We love you, we thank you for being such a wonderful God. Be with us now as we sing, as we go out into the highways and byways, Lord, fill us with power, the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, baptize us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel Elmani. At air code six two six four five four three four one four. Remember that Jesus loves you.